And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. We've chosen to take on a very easy topic this week, you know, after talking about uh, race in America and gatekeeping and fandom, we thought, you know, let's do a very easy episode. So we have decided to take on misinformation and fake news. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the easy one was last week, uh, music, and it was so We had a lot of fun. It was so easy that everybody, we kind of got, almost got drowned in chat last week. So I just, oh my gosh, it was uh, so much fun. Yeah. If we, if we missed you last week in chat, please don't take it personal. We were like really, really drowned. Just, just to say. Um, (laughs) so we're going to be talking about how do you, how do you know what you don't know? How do you know when you've been, been manipulated? How do you know who to trust in, in this kind of situation? So, um, let's get the conversation started in the comments. Let us know what's your favorite Star Trek episode that deals with truth or lies. What's the best Star Trek episode that deals with truth or lies? Uh, let us know in the comments below. You know, Larry, when we sat down to talk about this, we didn't think we'd have, there would be much to that Star Trek has to say about this. And then it was very clear, oh yes, there is a lot Star Trek has to say. So we'll we'll we're gonna dive into it. Um we should get um, someone came in like an academic and kept expanding the definition. I thought, well, okay, well then we're this and okay, well they're that. So right, we've got a full plate as usual. <laughs> we got a full plate. If this is your first time at Life Support Live, welcome. We have a lot of fun here. We talk about how Star Trek can help us to understand this world that we're in right now. Um, you can also join the show live so if you comment below uh you we're going to take some of those comments we put them on screen we'll we have parts of the show where we're talking more with each other more with you all so welcome you we'd love to have you on the show you can also join at the end when we open up hailing frequencies if you send us a message at life support live host on skype or you can see the name right over there life support live host on skype um there's always an opportunity to bring you on the show and you can be our right there you can be right. no, this way i keep pointing to the same way no it's just opposite. There. you there. know it's Sorry. wrong it's opposite well, and, we have some more rectagino i don't know what gosh, i'm doing there speaking of our speaking of our chat group uh everybody's got it already <laughs> In fact, they think that you're not wearing red or blue by wearing gray. You must be a deep fake. Well, t- <laughs> <laughs> thank so you, I'm, I'm wearing. Um, um, thank you for that. Um, I am wearing a shirt that uh, you know I don't really. Um, I haven't worn in a very long time for very specific reasons. It's today's the first live support live where I'm not wearing a Star Trek shirt. So I'm wearing this shirt. Um, uh huh. Yeah. So I don't know how I feel about the shirt anymore, Larry. Well, 
I think your fake news shirt is fake news. I yeah, don't think well, really that's the problem. That's the problem. I got this shirt when this term was first coined, and since then it's become like. Like, what does this shirt even mean? Um, I, I, I wear this shirt and I think I just confuse everyone. I confuse liberals. I conf- cons- confuse conservatives. No one really knows, including myself. I, I don't know what this means anymore. Um, but no, I am. Um, that's what I'm wearing. So, um, let's get into the briefing room here. Yep. Larry, let's, let's kind of dive into this because we've got, a lot to talk about. Yep. Um, the briefing room is where we where we get oriented and we really um, talk about this topic as it relates to Star Trek. So, Larry, um, I think one of the reasons why we want to talk about this is, um, you know, this this is a show about Star Trek and mental health and how does fake news and uh, and misinformation f- um, uh, feed into that? Well, there's it's crazy. That's how it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's quite difficult to navigate this world. And one of the ways I've been thinking about it this week, Larry, um, is, <laughs> you know, I, I've become, I, I became very frustrated with the knowledge and information we have about the coronavirus. And our knowledge is always expanding and evolving and growing. But in the last few weeks, there seems to be more scientific consensus that the best way to prevent this is uh, not only social distancing, but also wearing a face mask. And I don't know if you remember this, but in, in the very early part of this pandemic in the United States, there wasn't that big of a push. Wait, are you talking about, uh, hold on, like March? Yes. Yes. That was like that three much. months ago or <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> It it's hard to really remember that time, but you remember the before times where we could give handshakes oh, oh, and oh, eat yes. at restaurants. And... The old ones, <laughs> yeah. from the um, before times. <laughs> that there in America, there really wasn't much emphasis on wearing face masks, and um, the emphasis was more on cleaning your hands, not touching your face, and not touching other surfaces. So this is not fake news or misinformation, but it is lack of information, mm. uncertain information. It made it made me immediately think, of, and and all of that has been very stressful for me and frustrating for me. Um, I wish we knew that back then, and that immediately made me think of a Deep Space Nine episode, The Quickening, um, something that um, our chat has mentioned before in a previous episode. Right. But in that episode, uh, Julian Bashir is on a mission to save a planet from a um, from a virus, and right. he thinks he's save- he thinks he solved it, but he's nowhere near solving it. Boy um, genius comes up short. Yes. Yeah, boy genius comes up short. A wonderful Bashir episode. I would say the first great mm-hmm. Bashir episode. But it, it, that episode, it, I, I think about that now, and I think this is the exact situation we're in. There's so much we don't know, and we think we know something, and then a few months later, we're realizing, no, that's not even the case. And this isn't even intentional misinformation right. or fake news. See, what got me as we were planning the show was I think about misinformation and fake news as 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 manipulation as someone's strategy yes. someone has an agenda and you brought up and it, but that's that's on that's on their end but on our end it's so whether it's fake news and misinformation and we know it or we don't know it we also don't know what we don't know I'm starting to sound like um 
I but know who you're starting to sound like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't know what we don't know whether it's anyone's fault or not. We we talked about uncertainty in one of the earlier episodes. Mm. Uh, you know whether it's uh, whether it's intentional or not. But when it comes down to our psyche, us keeping our sanity and our anxiety and anxiety, we've talked about that. It's almost like these all are part of one big tapestry of mental health. Uh, yes. But yeah, it's. I, I see what I, you did there with tapestry. I, I like how you just name dropping my favorite episodes of Star Trek. I, oh, it's your favorite. Oh, I thought it was just like part of the thread of the show here. But it's in my uh, top two. My second, my other favorite is right oh, there. Okay. Oh, gosh, right there in the Pale Moon Night. Oh, there we go. There we go. You just love the the Cupid card bed scene. I know you. Um, <laughs> is there a Jean Luc? Pickard here? There you right. go. That's impression right. number one, Q. I refuse to believe that you are the afterlife, Q. <laughs> yeah. right. Impression um, number two there, Larry. I'm just I'm joining the Ali Bad Impressions Club. Yes. It's uh, joined. All are welcome. Yes, yes. But <laughs> <laughs> are you of the bad impressions? Yes. Um, no, what so what what I'm trying to get to here is when you expanded that out to include, you know, even even the times when we just are uncertain, it's it's how it reflects on us. It's it's yeah. not about the intention, it's about how it's affecting it. And the 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 sincerely unknown mixes in with the intentionally unknown. And you know, I guess is what you're trying to say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, if if we if we need a definition for fake news, I would say and misinformation, it's false information with the intention to persuade or to distract or mm -hmm. um to to get someone to believe some like you you are trying to get someone to believe something that is not true, which is different than um than information that's not presently available which I, I think is the case with the coronavirus but if we if we step beyond what i was talking about here and the mental health of that um there's a another big inf uh, big implication in terms of mental health in terms of um believing fake news and how that might impact relationships that you have with friends and family and uh acquaintances on social media it can impact your anger your despair, your, um, it can create, uh, it intentionally is so emotional. We'll talk about that in the counselor's log. Um, but there, there's a wide variety of ways in which, uh, misinformation and fake news impacts your mental health. First and foremost, in terms of just creating anxiety, what the heck do I believe? Um, okay. I got one for you, Mr. Fancy Pants Doctor. Hit me. Hit me, Dr. Trek. We've talked about intentionally manipulate, uh, you know, uh, fake news, misinformation meant to intentionally manipulate. We've talked about it when it's sincerely a gap in information. Yes. What about when we do it to ourselves? What Tell about me more. we Tell come me more up about and we're, I don't know, what are we baffled in life and we try to connect the dots, but we do it in a yeah. sad, badly wrong way? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, uh, we don't need maybe an organized body out there feeding it to us. We just I'm thinking like Voyager conspiracy and seven. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she goes all Glenn Beck on herself. Yeah, so, <laughs> let, let's let's walk through Voyager conspiracy a little bit. Um, tell me more about that episode. Well, it's, you know, I, I think the the premise is the key there. The whole point is that Seven's experimenting with a new way to, because she's, you know, just the iron robot. Uh, and uh, she thinks if she just 
continually downloads more information into herself of all the technology available in her board, you know, access points that she'll just be that more efficient and that much, you know, perfection attained. And she overloads even herself and starts seeing so much information. She's trying to make sense of it and is, yes, classically connecting all the wrong dots and drawing all the, and then she infects everybody around her. She infects Janeway and Chakotay, and they're not trusting each other. And she's seeing conspiracies everywhere. Yeah, the only way to explain all this is no, it could all be, you know, forty-seven random different occurrences. Right, right. So she's got to connect the dots in a crazy way. So uh, what I love about that episode, Larry, is it, it, it's such a. Um, oh, excuse me, Doctor Trek. What I what I love about that episode. Is that it is, um, it, it really well represents the way we understand information. A lot of, uh, people think that we have, uh, we have a scientist in here. We have an internal scientist that's weighing, um, new information, evaluating against old information, trying to see what is the most accurate. And no, we do not have an internal scientist. We have an inter- internal lawyer. One of the things our mind does very well is it comes up with arguments that back up our existing beliefs and our existing behaviors. Our mind is very, very good at that, at creating stories that explain what we've done. And the other thing that our mind is very good at, um, it's a very, very good association machine. This is something that has kept us alive. It, uh, our ancestors, if they were walking by a certain area and they saw a bush that, um, you know, a few weeks ago, a tiger had jumped out of that bush, they're already going to be anxious seeing that bush and they're going to avoid it. Or if you eat some type of food, you got food poisoning, just smelling or looking at that food makes you feel sick again. That's a process called classical conditioning. So our, our mind is very good at that. Painting on the terms the start flowing. There you oh, go. Oh, but you want to talk about classical conditioning, behavioralism, operant conditioning. <laughs> I, can, I can give you terms. I, I try to spare everyone from the from Maybe the say that with counselor's log. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, as much as I love techie tech i try to avoid doing it as much as possible um but we're we're quite good at forming associations and larry that's not just about experiences but about um about stories about facts about putting these things together and the unfortunate truth here is a lot of the big complicated things that happen in life we don't have an easy explanation for it we don't have an easy story that explains what happened and in that absence our mind is very good at creating stories or filling in the gaps or believing stories that fill in those gaps Mm -hmm. and my goodness larry the episodes coming in from the chat section um some of these we have in our list some of these we 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 don't um the first duty um johannes is is uh mentioning the first duty of course linda says it's a fake my favorite episode in the pillow <laughs> yeah, night yeah. um everybody's what, off and running some that i didn't think about even down here uh uh once upon a time on voyager yes. where jared uh, says where neelix can't tell the truth to Naomi about her mother, and uh, he, you know, it's uh, he diplomatically lies, little white lies, which, well, what? <laughs> really what? expanding things out here. Well, yes. and, and that's a question that often comes up is um, how much truth can you reveal to children about um, the horrible past that they or their family might have experienced? Um, sometimes 
we don't tell them the complete truth. Um, and is that, is that good? Is that bad? Um, how much can they develop me, developmentally understand at their age? Zaheer, uh, mentions Voyager Omega directive. We didn't even think about that one, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we made our short list, Voyager seemed to have the most episodes that directly dealt with this topic. Yes. I, I don't know what that means. I, mean, I think it's Brannon being the main showrunner there or something. <laughs> after a fashion. Uh, and Dan has uh, the short treks, the escape artist with the multiple muds at the end. Oh. <laughs> Wait, did you think that. about that one? That's Just great. That three times fast. Multiple muds. Multiple muds. That's a great, yeah, multiple muds. I love That oh, should have been the exactly name. Sipping, exactly. Sipping zippers on a beach somewhere, but, you know. <laughs> Um, Libby says DS9 rules of acquisition, um, which is, although it's oh, not one. Fake the, they fake the Neguses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've had so many, I never thought of this at the time, but this is like the second time it's come, like whose body, you know, desiccated remains were in those discs he was trying to pedal. And I <laughs> just think they're um, ginger or something. I don't know. Or yeah. The, there are so many episodes that are coming up here. Um, there's, gosh, there's, there's so much for us to talk about. Um, so w w what about, so we've kind of talked about how you can convince your way out of stuff. We've also talked about not knowing all the information and, uh, Julian Bashir and everything he was going through in that episode. I think I forgot to put up, um, the image from that one, but we do have the image pulled. There we go. There it is. Um, Larry, what about misinformation in terms of history this was an idea oh. you brought up and i really love this idea well it's not only do we think we think about misinformation and fake news and propaganda like in the moment like what's the nazis big lie or what's <laughs> you know what's a what's a and it's a shit i mean politics is about shading you know facts anyway but there's there's shades of gray and then there's shades of black and white or whatever you know, infrared and ultraviolet i guess <laughs> But there's also a misinformation, and we're talking a lot about it right now. I think part of systemic you know, racism, part of system, mm. and we've had Star Trek episodes about this. Uh, remember on Voyager that I've mentioned already in context of prejudice. But we have there's there's a like cultural conspiracies that they pile up over the generations, mm -hmm. right? And we yes. have that and. Guess what, kids? We've got that on two or three fronts, at least here in the states. With yeah. uh, sadly, with our treatment of not of, of African Americans and treatment of Native Americans, and yeah. you could go back through history and spread it around. The British Empire is great about it. Everywhere they colonized, yeah, it seems to be attached to a lot of colonizers. But even oh even gosh. apart from that, just the, yeah. the missing history, the lost history, it gets. But there's this, there's that old trite phrase: history is written by the victors. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And Victor has been very, uh, active on a lot of fronts. But when it's sustained over generations and it fades, you know, it's easy to think of something. That's where my mind has been lately. I, I said this yesterday. I didn't know. I had vaguely heard about Juneteenth. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was like a food festival or something wacky, yeah. something like Groundhog Day or something funky. I didn't know until this week what it actually was. And then even then, after two or three days, I kept hearing, it's the day that a Union general sailed into Galveston Bay and told the slaves and slaveholders that the, the war, it was like a Battle of New Orleans type thing. The war had been over for three months, and the slaves were free, and the South lost. And I'm like, 
okay, so why do we, why is the thing in Texas so, well, what's finally even took two or three days that I picked up on somewhere to say, it's not just that that's what happened on that day. It's, that was the last group of slaves to find out that they were free and to be forced into, I mean, the slave owners forced into, so in other words, it's like the, the day that finally everyone, the emancipation, we knew surely didn't do it because there was, they didn't control all the territory. It was at war, blah, blah, blah. But that was, the, and technically, not until the 13th Amendment. I'm also finding out now in December happened that everyone, the border state slaves were free. Yeah. But June 10th is important, not just because of what it was that day, but because that was like the last big swath of states, to, of slaves to find out they were free. So technically, that was really Emancipation Day or Liberty Day, you know. Yeah. But I didn't know, all, what got me was I didn't know all that. And I was like a little embarrassed, but I was also pissed that... And I think I'm, I'm not a history major, although I could have been one in real life uh, and taught or researched. That was one of my you know, career paths I could have gone. But it pissed me off that I'm still a pretty good history interest buff. I'll, I'll be a sucker for a documentary on anything. And I did not know that. And I was like angry. And I was almost like angry at my culture. Yes. I, I, I completely relate to what you're, what you're saying here, uh, Larry. I've experienced this myself in, in a few different ways. Um, I I remember very vividly experiencing this when I learned about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment where mm -hmm. um, the United States intentionally monitored um, how syphilis was breaking down the bodies of, uh, of these black men. I think they were all men and never really informed them that they had this disease, um, kept medical treatments from them for, for decades. Um, and we have... There are so many examples from all cultures, from all countries, right. where um, governments or people in power have intentionally hid the brutal details of aspects of their history. The genocide of uh, the native people of North America is probably, uh, you know, people talk about slavery being our original sin. I, I think um, you, you go farther back than that. And the original sin of the settlers here in this land is the genocide of uh, of a people um and, and not that misery loves company i'm just going to say i didn't wasn't aware of this either but the australians and canadians have had their own among others yeah have had a fair share of you know their natives their aboriginals and and some of that's coming to grips now some of that's coming to some kind of you know reparative uh, status now too, along with the U.S. But Dan, yeah, yeah, so. and Dan's talking about misinformation that the Holocaust didn't happen. There, there's so there's so many examples of this um, going around, and there's examples of um, of this in um, in Star Trek as well. I think there's some really good examples. Um, we were talking about uh, we were talking about two episodes, Larry. Um, we we're talking about the original series, The World Is Hollow, and Star Trek Discovery: New Eden as examples mm -hmm. of this. Um, you want to uh, jump into uh, the world well, of Hollow a little bit? Again, we're, we were just talking about like you know intentionally lost information. Then there are the times, a lot of episodes which give us the drama of uh, so it wasn't anyone's intention, but people are living without the truth. Yes. It's not like it was a conspiracy to deny them the truth. Or, and yes, and say the whole title with me, everybody. For the world is for the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Um, <laughs> Amazing how he got from Talos Four to Natiri's uh, to yeah, no, it's that the people that forget 
that they're in a they're being it's another computer society, but they forget that they're actually on the There's inside. a lot of those in the original series. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them fall into our some we were realizing fall into our, our frame today a little bit. But that's one where the people don't realize they're on an asteroid. The only one that does know is the is the computer keeper. Um I've forgotten this one's name at the moment. But Natira's the the high priestess and she only knows what she's told and she doesn't know. But when they come, when the, the, here comes the Enterprise, just, you know, scanning away, they're trying to save them anyway. And here they come. And, and I'm hot. I'm sorry. We're scientists. We're just giving you the science. We're giving you the truth. And they're they can't handle it. They can't handle the truth. Uh, it, it's blasphemy. You know, it comes through as religious dogma and they can't handle that. And so that's a, that's the conflict in that, that episode. But um what was the other one we were talking about? Oh, uh, in New Eden, New Eden, it's not quite so combative. Yeah, but it's a lost colony of humans sent away, brought away, uh, and they have no idea that. Well, they kind of do, but they, yeah, they're separate, completely separated from Earth. They, they've been scooped up and brought over. And there's there's even episodes, and I'm thinking the 37s. I'm thinking on Voyager, the North, North Star on on Enterprise. There's some good old alien abduction episodes out there, <laughs> you know. But that was kind of like we all know those are aliens, and we all know they're abducting us, and we all know we're stuck on this planet. A way we've adapted, but I, I think New Eden also. Hmm? Uh, well, one of the one of the things I loved uh, on a side note, not related to misinformation and fake news, um, New Eden was one of the first episodes of Star Trek Discovery that really dived into the Prime Directive or the mm-hmm. idea of the Prime Directive as it exists in that time point, and it also just gave us uh, gave a lot of opportunity for um, for Captain Pike to shine. Just, I, I really love that episode. Just say it, Ollie. Discovery was one of the first episodes of Discovery. Uh, that New Eden. <laughs> was one of the first episodes of Discovery that felt like Star Trek. That's what you're really trying to say. Oops. Okay. Oh, I, no, maybe. Maybe. It I, felt like an episodic Star Trek episode that explored, that had social commentary. Yes. Yes. I By those I said, <laughs> uh, you know, our, our um, chat is bringing up um, so many examples of Star Trek as well as real life. Um, people are talking about, don't forget, the um, the apartheid in South Africa. Absolutely. And, and there's also an example of <clears throat> a... Um, I think South Africa is a really great example of what it means when we say minority, because the the whites were smaller in number during apartheid, but they held all the power. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about minority groups, it's often who has power and who doesn't. And it's the ones in power who rewrite um, the history that's the British oh. Empire was so good at that. I mean, the British Empire completely changed uh, the Indian subcontinent and and so many other areas uh, for generations to come by controlling information, by controlling power, by controlling media, all of these kind of things. Um, and we're seeing more examples here in the comments. Um, do, 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 t- oh, but you're saying, uh, how about the t- on uh, Facebook? How about the TNG episode second? Ch- uh, not second chance it's where Riker's trapped between Beverly's play in an alien psych hospital and goes oh, back right right <laughs> Beverly's play I forgot about, I forgot something about for that. breakfast <laughs> I remember the play title before I remember the episode but I'll yeah and uh, 
Tim Tim mentioned <laughs> Cambodia, Bosnia, Croatia, Rwanda. It's a horrible, never ending history of human prejudice. There's there's a lot of of uh, you know. And what's the what's the common thread in this tapestry? Everyone's coming up with humans. This is this is where Spock or Odo need to jump in and yeah make yeah it. yeah or or Quark. Um, <laughs> or- Yes. Um, Linda has a good example. Worf's human brother deceiving, deceiving a whole civilization that they're still on their planet while being transported to a new world. Um, and Worf's uh, brother's storyline in general, they wipe his memory. Um, and he wishes to have his memory wiped as well and really denying his history. And Worf, um, Worf saying that he he's, he has no siblings. He has no, Thank you. no house really to belong to. Um, uh, Larry, there's one an episode of Star Trek Voyager that I think takes us into a slightly de- uh, different um, direction. Yes. So we've been talking about lost history, suppressed history. How about oh, and censored history? Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation Pegasus. We didn't talk about that yes. one yet, yes. but that is hiding information, um, events for political purposes yeah it's uh, classified that's because it's embarrassing right embarrassing. right if the federation found if if romulans found out the federation was developing this uh phased cloak it might completely uh change their their political uh relationship with each other so they hid that set the balance of power yes. and you know it reminded me of um the uss maine we were talking about that yes. remember, remember the, the maine Remember the Maine um, and the Spanish um, Spanish American War. Spanish American yes. War. Yeah, there have been a lot of there have been a lot of uh, imperialistic drum. Hearst, uh, aka Citizen Kane, fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> fictionalized. <laughs> I'm just making words up right and left. Um, but no, the Maine blew up, and everybody jumped. The you know the tabloid press of the day, the right wing made up media of the day, the yellow journalists said, oh, look, the Spanish, it was sabotage, sabotage, war, war, war. And it took, you know, 10, 20 years later to go back, have an investigation and go, no, a boiler blew up, you know. Right. right. <laughs> next to it, you know, they had too many, too many like weapons stacked up next to a, you know, something totally innocuous. But yeah, we went to war. We went to war on fake news. We went to war on false yeah. information. Yeah, there's a long history of misinformation and fake news. This is not a recent phenomenon. Um, we just got a, a great comment from Dan about speaking of abductions. Um, Little Green Men is a great example. And Cairo. Oh, uh, shout out to Dan. It's the Oracle, the people on Yonada. That's what I was. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. And Cairo 47 <laughs> means, oh, you mean like Spock saying we need to forget all about Discovery? Um, and the, the crew of the USS Enterprise really hiding all information about the events of Star Trek Discovery and Starfleet deciding, okay, you know, we're just going to forget. Let's Talk forget about, about the, yeah. Something. yeah, yeah, let's, let's just forget about that, that mushroom network and everything that happened with this crew and, and all that. It's not called the mushroom network. What's it called, Larry? The, uh, not the, the shroom mushroom. network. But I like that. The fungus network. Too? What is it called? <laughs> the mycelial network. Mycelial. 
thing. Your cereal, my cereal. Boy, <laughs> we all cereal for my cereal. No. I love the Mushroom Network. As you're listening to the Mushroom Network. <laughs> it okay. grows very slowly. But once it's there, it spreads everywhere. Um, it, Tim it, says that... Yeah. <laughs> the Star Trek Voyager episode where the Voyager crew had to hide a group of telepaths from an alien race who were obviously modeled on Nazi ethnic cleansers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were... Uh, and franking the Vulcans. So, and that, that gets to misinformation and misdirection for, mm-hmm. for good. Um, you know, it, it speaks to, yeah. to how do you save people who are being persecuted? On a personal level, boy, Dan's on fire today. Uh, everybody's on fire today, I should say. Uh, Dark Page, where on a very personal level, where, uh, Loaxana, and Ian hide the fact that Deanna had a sister because they didn't want to hurt her. Right. I mean, some of this, right. I, you know, I've said white lies, but some of this, some, some misinformation, all that can be, that's what's a, that's why this is such an interesting topic. Oh this my can, gosh. Like, so within many, a family yeah. up to a social to a global level. So Larry, let's all, talk I about. Here is that we all react to it as Larry, an individual, whether it's cultural, big picture or our own family. Oh, what do you mean? I was adopted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about one of our favorite episodes of Voyager, Distant Origin. Oh, yes. This this is a wonderful episode for a number of reasons. Um, one, I just like that they had a dinosaur episode that came out the week before Jurassic Park, The Lost World. That was that was wonderful. Uh, way to go, UPN. Good good job on that. But Larry, um, you had a take, and I had. You had a take and I had a take. So this is an episode where um, the Voyager encounters a a race that is essentially the the descendants of dinosaurs um, from Earth. Um, And you had a take. What was your take on this episode? Well, I you know, my take was that it's an old retelling of uh, of Copernicus, of uh, uh, Ptolemy, you know, Science versus the, you know, the old classic thing here, science versus faith. And the faith had been that the earth, in that example, that the earth was the center of the universe. And we're starting to have scientists in different eras come up and go, actually, we think the earth goes around the sun with a bunch of other big balls of rock. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this happens all over the place in other places. And no, no, heresy, heresy. And 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 somebody has to be, you know, it, well, if that's what you insist on believing, we have to smite you down for the good of the body, uh, you know, because that's too much of a challenge to the status quo worldview, which really gets down to it's a, it's a challenge to the status quo of our ego slash power structure. So <laughs> put it in modern terms here, we're scientists trying to speak truth to power and, you know, shut down for it, either made to change or um, or or put to death. And that's what yeah. really struck me about uh, about this. And here you've got Voyager, Chakotay. For one thing, it's a Chakotay episode. Oh my God, what's this <laughs> right. to it? What a what a concept! But it's uh, <laughs> it's such a retelling of that. Much less the fact that it retcons something from basics that has nothing to do with anything. But I just thought that was amazing. <laughs> but um, there were actually some good parts of Voyager that last throughout the years. Uh, no, and I just I always remember Jerry Taylor in our like end of the year dissection. She said, I feel like and she retired after four years and when Brandon took over, but she I mean she retired from the business. But I always remember her saying that she always thought that Distant Origin was the most Roddenberry esque of all the Voyagers mm. up till then. 
mm-hmm. because it was a you know it was a big picture idea that got people thinking. And oh, it was big. Yeah. It was yeah. big. Um, How big was it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic episode, and um, I recently rewatched it. Well, I recently rewatched all of Voyager about a year and a half ago. And um, in a, God, was that 2019, 2018? I don't remember. But whenever I watched it, what it, the way it read to me was uh, climate change um, denial. Um, mm-hmm. That these politicians were being given new scientific information and it was being denied for political purposes. Um, so there's what's so beautiful about that episode and what makes it so Roddenberry-esque is it is these big ideas that have specific social commentary that changes over time. Um, like people might watch that episode 50 years from now and say, oh, that's, you know, that's just like all those people, you know, denying all that cybernetic implant science. I don't know. I don't know what they're, what people are going to be talking <laughs> right, about right, in 50 right. years. Hopefully they're not talking about coronavirus. Um, <laughs> hopefully we're not talking about that anymore. Um, oh. no, but uh, that's, that's a lot. When you say that over time, I, what springs to mind is, uh, original series, the return of the archons. Mm-hmm. You know, and being everybody being brainwashed, literally brainwashed into a certain into a everybody gets along and they're all of the body. And then if you're not, you're absorbed, right? Or you're an outcast, or you hide it. And I've seen that episode banned, or I've read about that episode being banned in different cultures for totally different reasons. Really? Right. There were there, some cultures banned it because it was thought to be a comment on uh, some of the socialist countries, the, the old communist countries. That were showing Star Trek would ban that one because they thought it was a, a ban on groupthink, you know, commu- you know, uh, we're right. all the body. Right. And, and there was the famous uh, station in Texas in the 70s and 80s that banned it because they thought it was a comment on organized religion. Right. You know, Christianity or any, you know, I don't think they were defending Muslim, you know, mu- <laughs> Muslims. But I, I think they thought it was an affront to any organized religion, Christian religion. But, I mean, it was, it, you know, it's almost like that old thing about, boy, when you've got everybody mad at you, you're probably doing something right. Right, right, right. <laughs> Always a good place for Star Trek to be um, is getting banned from different places. Um, there's Speaking of looking at old episodes in a, in a new modern light, uh, Larry, this makes me think of uh, a Deep Space Nine episode called the Armageddon Game. Do you mm-hmm. remember this one? So, I do. Um, this is one where is it O'Brien and Julian mm-hmm. are being blamed? Basis, yes. Right, right. So there's this, these two warring species, and Julian Bashir are um, Julian He's and Bashir. Disarm. They had this horrible bio bio weapon. Yes. It's the first time I'd really ever thought I heard the term bioweapon used. But yeah, they uh, he was helping them disarm and everything was supposed to be, you know, oh, we've been at war and this was our this was our doomsday weapon. Only it was sort of being nuclear. It was a bioweapon, the harvesters. And they were helping them to defuse them and neutralize them and get rid of all their stockpiles. And then it turns out that there's like an uber conspiracy, not unlike the right-wing Federation Klingon conspiracy that assass- trying to assassinate the peacemakers. 
mm-hmm. uh, Federation president. There was a there was a high level conspiracy. You're talking Star Trek Six, the undiscovered country. Yeah, yes, undiscovered yeah. country. Yeah. yeah, we all knew the badmirals, the badmiralty ba- in there. Yes, the ultimate badmirals. Yeah, but the and the and the bemirals on the <laughs> on the Klingon side, I guess. But the uh, everything is a bemiral. But. <laughs> The uh, Armageddon game was about one one planetary system and the two planets that had been at war forever, you know, with distinctly different hairstyles. Uh, <laughs> they made a big public show of destroying their weapons and the Federation's going to help them. And here's the good guys in the Federation, only to find out that they get to the last little bitty stock, little bit of the stockpile, and they're and they're and the conspiracy of the two is like we can't totally let this get out. We can't totally trust that this won't come back. We have to keep these. For self-defense, we're going to tell our publics, you know, that we've gotten rid of it, and we'll be at peace. But it'll, it'll be this uneasy. It'll almost be like Taste of Armageddon, where yeah. the two planets agreed to have a computer war at the expense of their people. You know, well, we'll be at peace by still by keeping our war in a box. <laughs> well, and this you is know. all predicated. And, oh, and, and but the, the the thing you'll love about Armageddon game yeah. is that with Bashir and O'Brien is that not only is there this uber conspiracy where the last of those bioweapons is is kept but they they tell they try to tell Cisco and Keiko and all you know everybody back home that it was a, a you know it was an explosion or something ha- yes. you know whatever happened and they fake it's a fake here they <laughs> it's fake, a fake a tape which it can't compare to the most famous DS9 fake of all. But people forget that they were deep faking, which is another part. It's a tool of, you know, it's a tool of misinformation. And our high tech society has given us even more ways to be fooled or to, or to be manipulated. Yeah. But that was a great example of the deep fake deep state. No, how about the deep fake in action? Yeah. Well, exactly. That's that's a part of that episode that now sticks out to me is it's about deep fake. So if you aren't familiar with deep fake technology, um, we were basically at the point... This is the, um, this is the international symbol for In the Pale Moonlight? Yes, this is the international symbol for deep fake. <laughs> it's a deep fake. It's a fake. A deep fake. Um, that's um, two more impressions there uh, for those of you keeping score. Um, it's the same one, but we keep doing it over. So I don't know if that one counts. But um, deep fake technology is is when you take um, photos or videos of individuals. It really helps if there's a lot of videos of different angles of their face. And you're basically able to map on that face onto another body. There's a very um, famous example of this in Star Trek where um, individuals uh, took Leonard Nimoy's face and put it on Zachary Quinto's body for um, Star Trek 2009 for one of those scenes mm-hmm. there. And it's it's pretty convincing except in certain parts. And um, the more footage you have of someone, the more convincing and, and the better match it is to their body, um, to another body, the more convincing it is. Or you take someone's face and different words that they've said and just map it onto their own face. So this is how you can get Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump to say whatever you want because we have so much video of them and you can take different sound bites and you can create a video that's very convincing. And if you're scrolling through your Facebook feed or scrolling through Instagram or Twitter and you don't give it much thought, you might believe it's true. 
So it's highly concerning technology that's getting pretty close to the level of what we've seen in Star Trek, what we've seen with the holodeck, what has been used to manipulate um, all these species oh. in, in Star Trek. We, <laughs> we haven't even, you know, I don't even want to go there. I mean, we didn't we didn't talk about this pre-show, but, uh, you know, even using the holodeck as Mission Impossible, the old the old classic Mission Impossible where it's a holodeck within a holodeck. You know, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fake, oh, yeah. Where you're deep faking somebody in a three. It's, you're not just showing them an image as a deep fake. You're like deep faking them in real time in a 3D environment where they lose track of, you know, and, and there's a couple other episodes where, you know, it's like a tool of espionage. But what happens when you unleash that on an entire public, an entire society? You know, um, Dan just says Quark's face and Kira's body was another deep fake, lol. And Jared says, if you want an example of a deep fake, just look at Ali. We know the real Ali would, does not wear gray on camera. You know, I try not to, Jared. <laughs> you're actually, a good, it, is a, it is a good point. My background has a lot of grays in it. So um, wearing gray is uh, is not the best thing for me to wear. Just but, fading you know. into no- I'm sorry, are you still there? You're just fading into nothingness. <laughs> um, a few more episodes I want to dive into, Larry. Um, we didn't talk about Enterprise yet today. And there's a beautiful episode oh, yeah. of Misinformation here, which is uh, something you reminded me of. And then I said, oh, yeah, I do like episodes of Enterprise, which is the Andorian incident. Oh, yeah. Now, now we're, I mean, we're jumping around a little bit here. We're going personal, social, historical, yeah. Yeah. intentional, unintended. Because fake it's, news is confusing, Larry. It's confusing. I was going to say, the, the part that I guess the common, again, thread here is it's our reaction to this onslaught, whatever it comes from, and trying to be alert to it, whether it's intentional, unintentional, historical, cultural. But yeah. The Andorian incident, to me, is is uh, the ultimate manipulation because it's it's I don't know confirmation bias or whatever. But you're going on your your cultural, but you're going on your past history, everything you know. Because even after a hundred years, what do what do Earthmen from Sol three know? Vulcan, they're a little antagonistic, they're a little patriarchal, but Vulcan's good. Weird Andorian blue guys fight the Vulcans, and we're trying to be human noble here, you know, and we're going to be the, the thing that shakes up the, the the galaxy because we're the guys that can connect the dots and rise above our foibles, supposedly. Uh, we've learned a hard lesson. But this episode totally is based on Vulcans good, the Andorians or anybody fighting Vulcans bad. And that last scene when Shran is like, no, Shran is like, Everybody of a minority that finally got an iPhone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Shran and the Andorians, they were like, no, this is no. And they're like, oh, come on. It's just a bunch of Vulcan monks. It's a bunch of Vulcan. And when they walk through that circular arch, I don't know. Do we have that? When they walk um... through that circular arch and they're like, see, and Archer is stunned and T'Pol is stunned because it's her people and they walk in there and it's a spy base for the Vulcans. Right, right. And it's like, oh my God, our friends had been screwing around with this the whole time. And it's, you know, it totally, in Star Trek, it totally equalized the Andorians out and he and Shran, you know, Shran will forever trust Archer to a big degree there and they've made a friend, you know, pink skin and all that. But it was a real... Even as much as the whole, you know, Veloc is a Romulan plant ruining Vulcan and they've totally strayed from – I mean, that's all a big, big, big picture. But this is like totally external. 
<laughs> and you find out what that runaway, you know, that militarized faction of Vulcans has been doing is, you know, it's almost like the good guys strayed from their path somehow and had to be reminded of all the cultural sins they were creating and had a third party, you know, see that. Hmm. I, I get applications of that in modern times. But you know, Zaheer is sharing his impression as well <laughs> in the comments. Why did you come here? Answer me, pigskin. That's actually... That was that does not sound like Jeffrey Combs at at all. Um, Why did you come here? Yeah. <laughs> Why did you come here? I need the antennae, Larry. I don't have I don't have the antennae, but but and I don't have is. my remote control uh, <laughs> for you to, to run them. Yeah. <laughs> we um we also got a great comment from Rose who says, well, you know, what about the holodeck? It's it's a big fake. Uh, everything everything about it. And so here we're kind of talking about. Uh, this is a way of thinking about uh, fake and trueness that we haven't really thought about. And this gets back to um, not only imagination, but something we were talking about in a previous episode with uh, Benjamin Sisko and Vix um, and how everyone mm-hmm. is welcome to Vix. But if you look at Las Vegas in that time frame, if you're a person of color, you would not have been welcome there. So what's the line there? Um, and the debate over over whether um, Sisko should go to Vix or not is is a really great example of of what I think Rose is getting at over here. Um, Larry, there's two more episodes I want to talk about. Can I, can I say want, real, real quick? Please. So, yeah. and it's one of our newer, somebody, uh, I don't know if he's been with us for long, but James Tuvel on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, everybody on YouTube. There's more chatting going on on Facebook, just so you know. And I haven't seen a Twitcher raise their head yet today. But Cairo. You know, Cairo's been commenting. Oh, okay, okay. We have our colony people over there, but I haven't seen any of the 12-year-olds over there yet. But, uh, so James Tuvel or Tuvel on YouTube said, it's all, and this is so, you know, my friend Joseph from uh, Germany, um, it's, it's always easier to get people to believe a lie if they think everything is a lie, which is, you know, the human act, <laughs> the human use of chaos theory there. Uh, keep everything stirred up and nobody can separate truth from fiction. Well, I think that's exactly the problem with this term. And that's mm-hmm. why I hate wearing the shirt that if you can't see it, it says fake news and has a line over it is it's okay, everything not... has been labeled fake mm-hmm. news, right? So how mm-hmm. can you... Uh... You're fake news. No, you're fake news. No, you're right. fake news. No, right. you're... Right. Yeah. Um, it's a mess. Um, it's a mess. So, um, there's, there's two episodes I want to talk about. Um, oh man, Cairo's mentioning such other great episodes, The Forge, Awakening, uh, Kishara, um, the Endorian, Endorian Vulcan human episodes of Enterprise are always my favorite. Who would have thought when you focus on the conflict related to the founding members of the Federation in addition to uh, who are the five founding members? We had humans, Vulcans, and Dorians. This I put up with this all the time. I put up with this all the time. To- the world, the Tellarites, the oh, Tellarites, yeah. and you're going old school retro. Uh, you're thinking Alpha Centauri from the Tech Manual, but Alpha Centauri was a colony of humans that was independent. So and it's we really don't four. It's really Enterprise coalesced it to the four. And see, once yeah. again, every once again, everybody. Tellerites, totally forgotten. But okay. Tellerites it's are a- forgotten. We need more Tellerite okay. episodes. I don't want to debate you about this, Ollie. Do we have? Isn't there a Tellerite in, in Discovery? Don't we see one Tellerite? Yeah, yeah. There's there've been Tellerites in Discovery. Yeah, yeah they've been yeah, yeah. they bikerified a little bit. I call well, it. Well, yeah. <laughs> bikerified. Um, I know I- you have a lot of deep love 
for for the Tellarites. That is 100% true. As an underdog. I really yeah. don't have this pig fetish or anything. I just always look out for the underdog. So I just think... It's the year with the oppressions. There are four races. Uh, <laughs> there we go. So uh, there's two episodes I want to talk about in parallel with each other. So species, actually. The, the species, yes. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation, The First Duty... And mm. I want to talk about In the Pale Moonlight, oh. and I want to talk about them in relation to each other. Larry, you reminded me of the first duty. The first duty of every I, Starfleet officer is to the truth. Is to um, the truth. Yeah. So let's let's talk I, about I, that. What's amazing is as we got, you know, we always jump into, oh, well, Voyager conspiracy, and oh, well, it's a fake, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pale Moonlight. And we went through about 12, 13, 14, and a lot of them have come in, coming up in the chat today even more. And it's part of this is like how fine, how finely or how broadly do we cast this net for defining, right? But then it was like, oh, well, if you want to unifying all these different variations we've been talking about, you know, governmental, individual, historical, in the moment, intentional, unintentional, just vacuum of knowledge. But everything comes to, as a as a beholder. It, uh, the first duty is is almost like the root of the root of it all and the primary thread yeah it's 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 truth and of course the debate comes in like well what is truth what's you know your truth my truth what and some of that's subjective but when truth when there can be facts verifiable facts and you know them and you choose not to and especially when it's on on a personal level like this you know it's about you know but if you're gonna be if, if you're <laughs> If you're going to be some corrupt civilization that everybody's a cardboard villain, you know, okay, fine. You don't care. But if you're supposedly upholding truth as a virtue and a goal, and that's the basis of your civilization, and you start hypocritically backing away from that, you're in trouble. And we should remind with, everyone if they don't, if they don't remember this episode, Larry, this is where was a crusher, a part of, um, what was the, um, it was, uh, is, it was uh, uh, the Nova Squadron. The Nova the, Squadron. Yeah, yeah, and we see stunt, an early stunt team. It was the Academy's stunt flying team, uh, featuring uh, a non-Tom Paris, Tom Paris in, the, in that episode. Um, he was but yeah. Nick Locarno. Yeah, Wesley Crusher is a part of of uh, of this team, this elite team, and they engaged in a risky maneuver, a starboard maneuver, or something like that. Uh, I was going to say starburst, the starboard cold burst. I've, now you're going to go into stuff here. Yeah. The well, but they um, one of the, they, one member they, of their team died. Dies. There were five, and then there were four. Yeah, and they well, say that know, they were trying right. a simple maneuver, but they were really trying a a stunty thing, a, a starburst, a starburst strawberry flavored maneuver, and um, one member of the team dies, and they cover it up. Um, and Wesley has a crisis of conscience. Picard finds information. Uh, we also meet Boothby, I believe, in that episode, which mm -hmm. is a great little yep. detail there, um, yep. who makes an appearance again in Star Trek Voyager, um, the botanist at Starfleet Academy. And um, and Picard confronts Wesley. And there, there's that great moment where I, I, I think Picard is laying out Star Trek's thesis of the truth that mm -hmm. um and and this is something larry as you and i were talking in the pre-show that we really came to this place of understanding that star trek has a lot to say about the truth in fact more <laughs> than i would argue 
every other topic we have ever touched on Life Support Live. And we've touched 10 of them. We've talked about 10 different things. This is our 10th episode. Um, is an exhaustive... So, you are our 10th anniversary party, everybody. <laughs> you're all welcome, uh, which is good because you're all here right now. So... Um, I think Star Trek's clear thesis is in what Jean-Luc Picard says, that uh, truth is the first duty of uh, of all of us. Mm-hmm. However, what we see in the pale moonlight is, I think, mm-hmm. the flip side to the thesis. So while, while truth is the first duty, truth can be manipulated either from within you or outside. And I think that is what Star Trek has to say here is the truth is incredibly important and it's so easy to be manipulated by ourselves or by other people. And that's what in the pale moonlight, this episode that's about um, the greater good, um, about bringing in the Romulans into the war at the expense of uh, Cisco's conscience, at the expense of, of a, a Romulan senator of this uh, holodeck engineer who who's killed I say a holodeck counterfeiter right 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 well it's you can say that you could also brand it as the ends justify the means right right um there's um there's so much there um and with both end, of these episodes saving billions in a war you know uh that might be i mean how many things were you know, going back to it's the carbon copy, uh, you know, it's the go to thing. But how many atrocities were committed in the name of ending the fascist, you know, Axis powers? You know, World War yeah. II was a good war, but how many, you know, bad things were committed in the greater good of ending that war? That yeah. we, you know, so which um, the Dominion War always seems to get com- get compared to as far as all out war and good bad wars. And I'm, I'm going to talk about In the Pale Moonlight more in, in a moment when we get to the counselor's log. Dan has oh, asked sorry, a question. We got to the counselor's log yet. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> um, Dan asked a question about still wondering how Living Witness applies to the subject. So Living Witness is um, that Star Trek Voyager episode um, that we've, I think we mentioned in a previous week. But this is really where, uh, okay. this is the Bolana Taurus episode, right, Larry? No, you always do this. You're thinking of Remember. Gosh. Where the the remember and I we've mentioned we did mention it before in, in our prejudice episode. But right. Remember is where this is the, the Picard, this is the Picardo doctor they episode. They tried to totally paper over their Holocaust period. Right. Right. And which really- which relates here, but it's not the episode that has been brought up. Right. Living witness. Yes. Um, this is the doctor episode where he wakes up years in the future it's a bizarre it's yeah where a copy of his program had yes. been on a planet and this is also a little bit of that holodeck within a holodeck only only as a storytelling device not in reality right because you see a whole culture that had taken this discovery of the doctor and his entire but not program that discovery included. the other discovery yes <laughs> a little d discovery <laughs> uh on voyager no, the, the doctor, his program is discovered and used by one side that a little in a case a little bit like the like uh, remember where two factions had one had been dominant, you know, had been slave master. They dominated the other and the other side had a permanent you know, minority underclass and supposedly legally they were now equal. But there are many, many ways where there was still, you know, second class citizenship for this this entire subspecies group. 
and they were very sensitive about it and everything on paper was, oh, no, no, we're all equal, we're all equal. But in the past, they had used this the Voyager interruption, this weird, you know, inter- to explain what happened to some of their leaderships and some of their members that had been martyred. It's almost as if in 1968, uh, whites had been able to blame Martin Luther King's assassination on some alien visitor, you know, once they felt guilty about it. I'd never thought of it that way until just then. But that's that's what this is about. And it's about the doctor coming in and they have museum tours and they're showing these alien visitors and how they foisted this upon them and how they killed these these noble people from, you know, the their and this is what brought us together was they we were all being equally attacked. And it's like, no, the doctor is saying in real life, no, I was there. This is not my people. We would have never have done this. We never would have interfered. You know, and the doctor keeps digging, and they, he and a, and a, and a, a, a like uh, Forrest Gega in Distant Origin, a rogue historian this time, not a scientist, but they're looking, and he's going, oh, my God, he's right. And then he finds out that his own people basically killed the guy, and even though they've tried to get along for 100 years, the powers that be are like, no, you'll undo all the peace that we've been able to put together. And he's like, no, the truth is what the truth will make us free. And so just about the time you're watching the the doctor battle against this, you jump ahead in time and you see later down the line that same culture has assimilated the truth, including the falsity. You know, the pageant of their history includes the troubles, the fake explanation, and then the revelation of the – and now they revere the doctor as the great truth bringer to their civilization. And it has nothing to do with the time flow of real Voyager. It's mm-hmm. like the ultimate – it's not even a reset episode. It's like here's this episode over – but it's totally about that. Um, you know, uh, It's even an accidental K3, I can tell you, in a little bit when it's not the real <laughs> – Accidental K3. That sounds like uh, – that could be your bad name right there, Larry. <laughs> Um, so with that, but let's that's living witness. Right, right, right. And it has nothing. What's amazing is it has nothing to do with the real. And it's like accidental lost history manipulated. But it's yeah. very comical in the way they to me, it's like when we get dinosaur bones and we try to extrapolate what the dinosaur look, you know, what the creature look like. And we have no idea, but we're extrapolating. And part of the, the early comedy of that episode is the doctor going, no, like, when, you know, here's and they're showing all these simulations with authority. Here's what they did, and here's what they ate, and here's what they look like. And the doctor's going, no, 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 that's not it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it turns sinister. Well, and and we have examples of this. Um, Right before I moved out of uh, New York City last fall, um, lived there for almost 10 years. And um, my family, we, we revisited some of our favorite sites. And one of the places we went to was the um, uh, the Natural History Museum on the Upper West Side, which has dinosaur bones. It also has uh, the famous um, planetarium, all sorts of stuff. And what was fascinating, there's all these dioramas, right? Um, or they're not called dioramas. They're like, you know, those big clear windows and they have set up this like stage from ancient history or like um, or key moments in history. And they have one that set up that's always been there that's about um america um, settlers from europe coming to america and interacting with um with native americans with american indians beyond corn and turkey right right and there's this this diorama that's set up and it's always been there but now they added this um uh, all this information on the window that pointed to what's accurate 
and what's inaccurate about this diorama. And so that is an example of, <laughs> of living witness of, um, of muse. This museum has for decades said, this is the way it was. And now with, with more uh, inclusivity of voices and of better views of history and kind of cutting through the myth of America and getting to what actually happened, we're, we're finding a more realistic truth about what actually happened in that moment. And I thought that was so fascinating and it ties back into, uh, to living witness here. Well, and even better, um, cause we're, we're facing this all the time. This is, this is totally about Confederate statues. We're in a yeah. place that, that totally is mindful. It reminds me also there's a, there's a Native American museum. There's a quirky little museum built in the 20s and 30s. It's quirkily built in the side of a rock out in the desert, out up by Palmdale and Lancaster here. Um, and now it's a state museum, but it was privately run for years. And one of, you know, the old, the old days of the, uh, you know, like the the safari, the adventurers, you know, almost like an Indiana Jones type or whatever. And a, a guy who was, a, I don't know anything about names, so sorry, everybody. But the gist of it is he collected all kinds of natural history objects from, you know, rocks and geology to, to primitive tribes and native tribes and aboriginal people, uh, not so aboriginal, but, you know, native, but whatever, from around the world and collect them in a museum and presented them in a way and 50, 80 years later, 100 years later, any one of those fields would say, oh, like this was this was groundbreaking. He did tons of work, but the presentation and the filters that they're brought to you in and some of the interpret a lot of the interpretations have been superseded. They've been updated. It was wrong. And there wasn't anything really intentionally. You know, he wasn't trying to malign. It was his worldview. It was the whole British Empire, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire and you see the whole world through that lens when that's not what's going on. Anyway, same thing as your display window. Rather than change that or shut it down, they, there's all kinds of displays talking. Now they look at it as historical, historical interpretation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which I, which I love rather than just wipe. So this is all wrong and wiping it away. We, how much more textured is it to see what was wrong and why and color our, you know, and then a hundred years from now do the same thing again? It's, it's a really interesting debate that's happening and now. By the way, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, by saying all that, I'm not metaphorically saying let's keep all the Confederate statues up. Yeah. I, the whole thing about moving them into museums, you know, rather than having them being out celebrate, celebrated putting them in museums where they should belong, just like we shouldn't wipe out all knowledge of Nazi Germany and leave that, you know, uh, which is what happens in a lot of Star Trek episodes. But there's a difference between saving something that's worth saving and something that was like not like crappy art. As somebody finally started saying, some of these statues are really like, they are not works of art. It's yeah, like there's you know, there's... Redeemed- I mean, this is a, it's a complicated topic that doesn't have, yeah. um, yeah, this is, it's, it's, well, one thing that I think about here is what these and I public, say that, I guess we're saying this because we're, we, our topic is misinformation and fake news, but as we said, the truth is at the bottom of this. And I guess looking for the truth envelops this as well. Yeah. And it's, Victor, um, and there's right. The, 
when, when you look at statues and these um, and what what's seen in museums, um, it's it is symbolic and it is about um, what we celebrate, um, what we are choosing to dedicate a monument to. When you visit the uh, the Lincoln Memorial, it says in this temple. You know, it, that those are the words inscribed mm-hmm. in the Lincoln Monument. These are things that we are, our culture is saying, this is important. We need to celebrate this or we need to honor it or we need to remember it in some way. So who are these people that we are celebrating and, and remembering and honoring? And as culture changes and our, as our view becomes more hopefully accurate, all of that stuff needs to be updated and all of that stuff needs to be changed. You know, it, um, I think this might have changed or it's about to change, but, um, there has, there's no women. Mon- there's no do- monuments to women in Central Park. Um, it's all men. And, um, there's been a movement now to change that very recently. But, like, there's so many aspects of, of this that we're revisiting that need to be revisited. And we could talk, um, much more about, um, Let's just invent a topic for this. Yeah. With with that, Larry. uh, Oh, actually, before we go into the counselor's log, (laughs) one thing I got to address in the comments. A lot of people are talking about Spock. and um, Oh, I saw this. Like Cairo on Twitch. Yeah. uh, I'll never forgive the writers of Spock being the having the writers have Spock be the one that tells Starfleet to hide the truth about Discovery. And my first reaction to that is, really? This is the Spock? And Vulcans, who never told Starfleet about about uh, a muck time, about Plactau and the blood fever and all of that. Spock is all about exaggeration. You know, a yeah. lie, Spock, an exaggeration um, about an neglecting. Exaggeration. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we didn't find out that Spock had a brother until Star Trek V. Everyone forgets that. And when they find out he has a brother, everyone's like, Spock, you got a brother? And he's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess I never mentioned it, did I? Um, this is how- why all the hoo ha about about um, about uh, Michael Burnham being his foster sister, not even his half brother. I'm like, okay. And now, now there's a whole rec. The writers retconned a reason that she's in this top secret file. But I never had a problem with that. The, the cyborg is out there. The pain was made in 1989 or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, we've been there. But I, I still go back to the fact that Vulcans had been co-Federation founders with humans for 100 years. They had been known allies, the first, first contact. And, and they never, in 200 years, no human knew about Vulcan reproduction until McCoy <laughs> stumbles into it firsthand. I just... I just, I, I think the Enterprise tried to retcon that around the edges a little bit, but you know, yeah. we're, so we're, don't, don't talk to me about the Vulcans being, you know, this this lily white, or, or excuse me, this uh, you know this puritanical bastion of truth. They've been no. led astray and indulged. Yeah, you know, the Tellarites will tell you exactly how it is. They are honest to a fault, and mm-hmm. I see Vulcans on the other end of that spectrum. That they are highly careful of what they reveal and even when they reveal something they haven't quite revealed everything about it um and spock does that throughout the franchise in all universes 
No, it's like in the Kelvin timeline and the Prime timeline. It's uh, we could go around and around about that. Um, so with that, Larry, uh, it's oh, it's wow. been a while. Let's <laughs> let's jump into the counselor's log. <laughs> We're this losing is... a few people to one of the live. The Galaxy Con is uh, having another one of their great live virtual panels right now. So I think we've lost a few people that. But we but we plot on here. We were here mm-hmm. first. We will we will boldly go uh, keep on going here. So there's um, the council's log. This is where I attempt to explain the the science behind some of what we're experiencing in um, in this episode. And uh, this was a big challenge for me, Larry, because um, there's yeah. a lot there's a lot that relates to misinformation and fake news, and um, some of this is based on. Um, older research uh, before social media. Some of this is based on newer research, but it's it's quite difficult to try to distill everything into um, into a short bit. Um, but there's a few things that I, I think people really need to know. And one is there's a recent study that was published in Science, a very big scientific journal, Science. Uh, this was in 2018 that showed that fake news actually reaches more people and it spreads more quickly than the truth. And mm-hmm. I think there's there's something revealing there about how fake news is intentionally designed to be contagious. And it's in the way that it is uh contagious. Viral, you might say yes thank you for that yeah yeah it's in the way that it goes viral also has big clues into why it impacts us so much and uh depending on where you're in the world when we say fake news and misinformation and propaganda it probably brings up some political ideas of who are the bad culprits here but you know there's nothing unique to being on the conservative end of the spectrum or liberal end of the spectrum that makes you more or less vulnerable to fake news. Mm. Everyone is Mm. vulnerable to it. And there is a great um, uh, a meta-analysis. That means a a study of studies that put together over 50 studies and look to see what are the common threads here. And what they found there is both liberals and conservatives were both likely to, um, to be vulnerable to fake news when it's, when it's targeting them. So it's not, and we see examples of that, um, not only pol- uh, on the political end, you know, a lot, a lot of criticism has been pointed, rightfully so, at the Trump administration. But on the liberal end, and we've talked about climate change and denying climate change, which is definitely um, liberals in America are much more aligned with climate science and conservatives in America are much more aligned against it or denying it. There's also things that liberals are guilty of that uh, less so on the conservative end. So vaccine denying. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of um, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop company and all of this like organic, natural solutions. Liberal people are the ones who are more vulnerable to those ideas of getting these pure substances that are unadulterated. So this happens across everyone is vulnerable to it so the question then becomes why and how and all of that so a few things here i'm going to start with in the pale moonlight in the pale moonlight shows our minds 
immune system at work. Just like we have an immune system that fights off viruses, our mind has an immune system that fights off dangerous ideas. Mm-hmm. And it does this automatically without even thinking about Self, it. You, self-protection system? Ab- it's a self-protection system. Yeah, you <laughs> might think about it as rationalization, but we, we want to be consistent. We want to be, we want our actions to be consistent with our beliefs. And when there's a mismatch, we either change our beliefs or we rationalize our behavior, or maybe we might change our behavior. But this is what we see Cisco do in, in the pale moonlight, which is why I wanted to, to talk about that as it relates to the first duty is, um, he rationalizes. We see it happen in his personal log as he's talking to us that he's finding a reason why he's doing what he's doing. He's rash. It's the, 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 um, the ends justify the means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we all do it. There's a great example of this in psychology, uh, for those who are interested. Leon, F- um, Fessinger was a psychologist, a social psychologist. Oh, um, I just made that up. No. He, Leon is- Fessinger was the studio executive in charge of Looney Tunes at Warner Brothers. Oh, wait, that's Leon Schlesinger. Okay, go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Fake news, Larry. Don't give us any of that fake news. So um, he was a social psychologist in uh, in the 1950s who discovered this uh, cult who believed that aliens were going to destroy the world on December 21st, 1954. And so he infiltrated this cult to see what would happen on December 21st, 1954. And people who were a part of this cult, they... Uh, they believe that if they let go of all their b- belongings and come here, that um, the aliens will save them and w- as the rest of the Earth is destroyed. Well, the Earth wasn't destroyed. And at first, people started to believe that they they saved Earth, that their prayers were answered. Some believe that this destruction was uh, delayed to Christmas Day. And... Um, it's this is all documented in, in a book called When Prophecy Fails. It's one of my favorite stories in psychology because it shows this immune system at work. That um, yes, in the uh, we have a comment here: cognitive dissonance. This is where mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance theory came into play. That when we do something or when we believe something that conflicts with each other, um, for example, I have given up all my possessions. I've come to this cult. The world is going to be destroyed. But then it's not destroyed. That creates dissonance. We try to resolve that dissonance by changing our beliefs or changing our behaviors. And here they change the beliefs that like, well, we actually saved Earth. Cisco changes his beliefs. You know, I'm not really doing a bad thing. I'm doing a good thing because this is this is going to save the Federation. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Is, As opposed to, say, an android that just smoke pours out of his head and he melts down because he can't bridge the gap. Yes, yes. And um <laughs> he pulls a Norman and he pulls a <laughs> uh Jared says you talked about this on the psych show. The um yes, Jared, thank you for, for that's a old reference to an old psych show episode. You're, so, you've got viewers on your channel. <laughs> I've got viewers. That's always awesome to awesome to see. So that's part one is we want to be consistent and we have this immune system. And then um when we get new information it's not all treated equally. And there's a line of research that leads to motivated reasoning. This is the idea that um, information is not neutral. And sometimes 
new information might lead us to uh, to gain things or it might lead us to lose things. This is Star Trek Voyager distant origin is when you get this new information, are you are you motivated to accept it or are you motivated to reject it? And if you're in power, if you're in political power, or if you have a lot invested in a belief system um, and this new information really conflicts with that, you might be motivated to completely reject it and find a reason why it might not be true. Um, or to swallow it and carry the burden of knowing that while you – because it's ensuring your power. It's That's your power. It's yes. A, it's sad when when truth is a threat to one's power because that's that's kind of revealing. I, I think there's a point where you go down that road. At one point, if you if you would just embrace the truth, this is like uh, Watergate was the the cover up was worse than the original crime. Yeah, yeah. You know, for one example. But if you there's a pivot point where if you just take that challenging truth and embrace it. And prepare everybody and do that. But if you don't, if you let that be a rock in your shoe that builds up and builds up and builds up, you you know you make it whether whatever the outcome is. And after a while, you've spun this this tapestry of fake threads that's all going to fall apart eventually, and it'll take you down with it. But that's what people play that game on whatever level. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know the the this other uh, the other parts of this that I want to get into are much more related to what's happening in the world right now and changes as a result of social media of youtube I feel like all this is happening in the world right now well it, yeah um and th those theories have been around for a long time oh but yeah. but these um some newer ideas is uh gets to remember how we were talking about how viral this stuff can be larry well one of the things that makes fake news and misinformation so viral is how emotional it is and the quickest well, we, 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 this whole thing about how fast things going viral it used to just be the luck of the draw but now algorithms of that are designed yes. to sell products facebook and google are also what's weaponizable in the arena of ideas well and and sometimes the product is the idea sometimes the product oh, right, but i mean i mean yeah. it's made to sell whether it's a something in a box Yes. Or it's an idea that someone's going to manipulate you with. If it's got all, if it comes pre-assembled with all the buttons, knowing what buttons to push in each individual viewer, that's like more weaponized than taking atomic power and making bombs out of. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You're right. You're right. And Talking the about new quickest way, way the quickest way to emotionally activate someone is to threaten their identity. Or to threaten their status, to threaten their power. Um, the quickest way to get someone to shake out of their status quo is to piss them off and make them afraid that they're losing power. The fastest way, Larry, to get um, the easiest way to get people to vote, it's not it's not hope or inspiration. The easiest way to mobilize a voter base is outrage. And um, especially outrage related to their identity. This is this is it. This is the quickest way to do it. So a lot of misinformation, a lot of fake news, um, what it does so scientifically well, like it's engineered for this to target certain identities to make them pissed off or to make them um, to make them scared that they're losing their status. And when that happens, you do not think clearly. 
Mm-hmm. And there's new research that shows when people are vulnerable to fake news, they aren't thinking clearly. Right. They're they're not uh, they're not they're rationally emotional? thinking. Yeah, <laughs> right. they're very emotional. And it's not I'm not saying that these people do not have people who are vulnerable to fake news are uh, they're bad thinkers. It's mm-hmm. more fake news is engineered to make you emotional. And when you are emotional, you don't think clearly. Um, mm-hmm. This I, I'm sure I have shared things on social media that were fake, but I didn't realize it because I saw mm-hmm. it. I got so emotionally overwhelmed <laughs> and I just shared it. Um, this is this is the key here. And the the second part the, to this is something you mentioned, Larry, is um, algorithms are now very good at giving you content that's going to resonate with you. And the more emotional it is, the more sensational it is, the more it threatens your identity, the more likely you are to share it. Um, and that's where the biggest danger comes in, Larry, because when you see other people sharing it, it's communicating, hey, I believe this thing. And when you see it going viral in the number of shares, well, that must mean that this has some kind of merit because all of these people believe it. We don't, we're not, again, we're not internal scientists. We have internal lawyers and we're highly influenced by what our friends and family think. How about the people that we love and trust? So when everyone and is sharing this. Or the people thing, that we don't know, and that's where likes and views come in. Yeah. This is. Yeah. This is why this is such a massive challenge is there's so many different pieces to this. There's so many different pieces at play. And we've only this is this is, again, a new technology. This my parallel to this. I keep going back to atomic energy and the and my favorite doc. My first favorite documentary of all time is one called the Atomic Cafe. And it's hard to find. But the whole thing is it's both comical and scary and bittersweet but it's everything it's all the it's the science and the pop culture and the cultural rea- and the psychology sociology around the coming of the a-bomb yeah and it starts with the science and it goes up through the 50s and 60s everything from like pop culture songs and references and movies and goofy things to really scary political you know and all that but it really hits me how it's a wave and and we have to assimilate <laughs> we have to assimilate but it's like any major social upheaval, to just like or like 9-11, which was a culture shock to people. Uh, it's like any new shock to the system, and I'm thinking here in terms of like a technical science shock more than like a military attack kind of thing. But they're all the same. It takes – there's like a wave. It's almost what – the, the, what is it about the five stages of grief or the five right. – you know, the five stages of whatever, fill in the blank. It's like the five stages, and part of it is – is it's, if it's not fear, it's kind of like wonderment and make fun of it, and then event. But eventually, the repercussions settle in, and then you get the allegorical sci-fi movies about it or whatever. <laughs> and we went through that with the A bomb, and you know, it's like Facebook started off being, and Twitter started off being how we reconnect with grandma or how we find all the members of our high school class for a reunion yeah. or something. Yeah. And it's only been – and it's like, guys, it's only been around 10, 12, 15 years. We're only just now seeing the fruits of either what somebody had in mind all along or what somebody, if you yeah. use it, realize, oh, I can take this and weaponize it, you know? There, there's and, a few ways. And we're just now becoming aware on a mass scale. The people that were devious up front were only just now – it's it's okay. But to me, it's like, yes, we're only just now. This only this is like such a new, a new facet of culture that hit its face for a long time. We're just finding the, you know, that same hatchet that cuts it's, down a tree could go. 
the way I think about it, Larry, is I think we've invented we've invented the automobile, but we haven't invented the seatbelt yet or airbags or all of these, you know, it, and, or the battery that's going to prevent it from right. global warming us. Right. Yes. I mean, I, I live in Silicon Valley. I, I work for a tech company now, a mental health startup. And um, I live in this world, and I can tell you that it is the least regulated industry in the United States. Tech do- is not regulated by so any new. means because it's so new. And our our um, our leaders, our elected officials, are largely ignorant of how it works. They do not have an understanding of this. And um, it, this is something that really opened my eyes to how these algorithms work. You know, I know a lot about how the YouTube algorithm works based on creating videos for it. But if you look at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, when you share a tweet, when you share a status update, when you post an image on Instagram, it's not shared to everyone who follows you. It's shared with one small sample. And then all of these platforms look to see how well is this post resonating with this small sample. If it's resonating well, then it's shared with a larger audience. If it's resonating well there, then it's shared with an even larger audience and then an even larger audience. This is why you might post something and not everyone sees it. Um, and so what does resonate? Really emotional, surprising content. And that's also the stuff that sticks out in our memory. And some people have weaponized this for the mm-hmm. purposes of fake news, for the purposes <laughs> of misdirection. Um, there's a couple of things in the comments section that I think are really relevant there's here. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff. There's right a lot. Um, Jared and some, mentions... And some new fa- I, I want to tell everybody in the comments real quick. That we, I see a lot of new names, which is awesome. And a lot of yeah. people still on YouTube, uh, just knowing that the chat is mainly happening on Facebook. But just want everybody to know we're, we're seeing you. And it's great to see all these new names. Ho- hopefully we can do some shout outs. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I want to I want to talk about Jared's comment. The loss of status psychological effects can be currently seen in law enforcement agencies across the country right now. This ties into our conversation on on prejudice and racism, Larry. And we, yeah, I think, Jared, that's a really interesting observation is um, for a very long time, police in the United States, um, among many communities, have had this high position of power. And now there is a lot that's being looked at. And like, how did these law enforcement agencies originate? Um, what are their biases? What are their motivations? And maybe we should reevaluate our whole relationship with the police. And I think that some of the the uh, the response that we've seen from police in some places has been very supportive in some places has been highly concerning so i think that's a great comment um cairo also says that sometimes the truth is in the eye of the beholder as well um and this reminds me of something that really uh, resonated it's, it's with a me two time star trek episode title so yes obviously <laughs> that's right <laughs> um I heard this from one of the researchers who looks at fake news, and I'm blanking on her name now. But she said, um, just because it's your truth doesn't make it the truth. Mm-hmm. And this is um, Stephen Colbert has you're this entitled w- to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your own. You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Yeah. And. <laughs> This gets it to the idea of truthiness, which is something Stephen Colbert coined, is the feeling of something being true, that you feel it in your gut. And um, that's that's one of the dangers here is as we all start to question what are facts, 
mm-hmm. um, we kind of rely on our feelings, which is not really a good place for us to be as a culture. So, um, Larry, there's a lot more <laughs> we could get into. I, I think we need a little bit of a palate cleanser here. Uh, I think we need a little K3 factor. So oh, let's okay. let's warp forward. <laughs> to uh, K3. Um, we're going to talk about this a lot more as we get to um, the away mission here, folks. Um, but let's let's talk about K3. So, this is, yeah. Larry, where you do a deep dive into a connection with the original series. Yeah. Well, the, you always say that. It could be any series. I just call it K3 because I love how the only reference to mental health, really, aside from the woo experimental machines that are always bad at all Starfleet facilities, um... <laughs> Were, uh, was the K3 indicated on McCoy's biomonitor there, which wasn't even called a biomonitor? It says brain, K3, over there on the second one. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's one more chance to connect a deep dive into Star Trek with our topic today. And I wanna, the minute we got to, uh, the, the first duty, it really resonated with me. There's a story I will always remember, uh, in the days when I would talk to everybody at the end of each season. Uh, and so, you know, Ron Moore, the great Ron D. Moore, is credited with writing The First Duty. Uh, and this was back when, you know, Ron and all the boys, as Jerry Taylor called them, they were all, you know, Ron and Renee and Narain Shankar, they were all in their, Brandon, were all in their mid-late 20s. And she was kind of like the mom to these young boy writers. And Michael was kind of the uncle. But Ron told me, and Michael backed this up, that when they wrote the story, it was it was pretty easy to write. This whole dilemma here we're talking about in Wesley standing up to his cadet friends in their conspiracy and Picard not wanting to call him a liar, but looking at him and saying, We've got the fact we've got the scientific evidence, we've got scans, we've recreated it. We know you guys were really flying the dangerous maneuver when your fellow cadet was killed. They're all trying to say, No, no, it was just a horrible accident. Um and he lays down the law about the truth and lays the guilt trip on him. And Wesley finally. But as they wrote that episode, Ron, who was in his mid 20s, was all about, no, this is not believable. Wesley would never turn on his friends hmm. because when you're that age, when you're that age, your friends are everything. Hmm. And Michael Pillar was saying, no, Ron, <laughs> Picard is right. This is Wesley growing up. And damn it, Wesley is young Gene Roddenberry. He was named Wesley Crusher for for Eugene Wesley Roddenberry. It was Gene's embodiment of himself. It was all the growing pains of all the – not Wesley as a character or Will Wheaton's portrayal, but all the stupid writers who couldn't write Wesley correctly in the early years. We're, this is this is post – right? Will is out of – Wesley is out of the regular cast and we're these guest spots where he's into now. And they're doing a much better job of writing Wesley the older he got and the better the writers got. Yeah. And yeah, probably the absolutely. younger the writers got, too. But yeah. this whole, there was a huge debate between Ron, the up-and-coming you know, boy wonder writer. Oh, Ron writes all the family stories, and Ron writes all the Klingon stories, and he's the great up-and-coming writer. And But his dad— Who, who my, came no, in through a spec script, we should yes, mention yeah. that, was yeah. very young— and came in as an outsider. We, his name is so synonymous with some of the greatest <laughs> Star Trek episodes. But he came in as an outsider to the writer's room. Right, right. Uh, the bonding about Worf and the, and the orphan boy, uh, 
was a total spec script. It was he and Rene Shreer, the only two that did spec scripts that were basically filmed as was, and they were on staff. But he and Michael Pillar had this headbanging. Michael said, no, ultimate Star Trek has to be about the truth. And Ron said, no, the truth is that Wesley would never betray his friends because if he did, he would not have friends. And of course, the episode ends with they ultimately came to Wesley telling the truth and suffering some penalty. But more than the rest of his cadet corps, he's been, you know, he's been sanctioned. And he is worried about losing face with cadets, but he's ultimately convinced he's made the right choice or Picard's trying to help him make. Anyway, within a few, by the time I talked to Ron, <laughs> like a year or two later, and maybe he'd been through the ringer about responsibility and maybe he'd had a kid by then, <laughs> uh, thinking, you know what, uh, Michael was right. <laughs> we can't have a Star Trek regular character, especially the one named for Gene Roddenberry. We can't have a, a Star Trek character not come down on the side of truth. Yeah. Like, we can't have that. So that was a case of something that falls into a lot of our debates and arguments and, spect you know, is like this, you know, the whole, okay, boomer, oh, you're just a millennial or a gen. No, stupid. I'm a gen. You old man. I'm a Gen Z or not a millennial. Get your terms right. I mean, that there's sometimes we get into a little bit of a generational divide and I always, I try to bridge that, but really sometimes it is about, the okay boomers are too, you know, too into their ruts or their blinders. And that's a, that's a commodity. That's a cost. But also sometimes younger people, for all the energy that sometimes it needs to knock the rust off of things and shake things up and move things along, sometimes they can suffer from just a lack of life experience too. So, you know, we want the best of all worlds. But anyway, I always, this whole thing about the truth, I always go back in that episode and I always think of the, the meta level to that episode was, the great Ron Michael debate about, you know, mm. what the truth really should be for Wesley. And ultimately, even Ron putting a few more years on his experience and going, yeah, wait, that was the right thing to do, which is all that's I always love that story. <laughs> you know, so I didn't know. I, I didn't <laughs> know that there was this backstory. Or there was this debate going on about that episode um, when. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, part of it is Wesley does feel like such a narc there um, that he is ratting out his friends. And really? that when I first saw this episode, when I was much younger, uh -huh. that part of it stuck out to me. When I was older and I watched that episode, Picard's monologue is what sticks out to me. So I think part of it is age and how we see it. What yes, I dad, two year old. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> now that I'm a dad, um, part of it is age. But even when I was a kid, when um, when Wesley does um, face the consequences, what I liked about it is he knows he's going to lose friends. He knows that this is going to have an impact on his career, and he still does it. Like I thought that really shows someone who is of of deep integrity that he is um he's he's saying no to all of these things and it, it also shows the power of um having a really positive um adult figure in your life um we many many weeks ago we talked about resilience this idea when you're going through a, a big struggle or a trauma resilience is about the ability to get back 
to how you're functioning before. And one of the variables that's been shown to be super um, related to resilience is having a positive relationship with, with an adult who's not a family member. <clears throat> This means someone who's not mom or dad. Now, Wesley, unfortunately, doesn't have a father in his life, but he does have Jean-Luc Picard, who is this mentor teacher figure. And he comes in in that moment and says, look, kid, you cannot compromise on your values here. And if you do this, you're going to keep compromising on this over and over and over again in your life. Um, and there's actually research to support that too. When you compromise on your values, it becomes easier to compromise on your values. That's one of those, uh, no SHIT results in psychology. It's like, well, yeah, that makes total sense, which I think is half of all of psychology is like, it feels like it's common sense. And the other half doesn't feel like common sense. But then when you think it through, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's one of the things I hate about psychology is people are always like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, well, so define common sense, Dr. Ali. Well, yeah, I mean, it like intuitively makes sense in your mind, which gets back to everything we're talking about, right? Um, and around and around we go. Um, but I, I, I love that background here. Um, I love that background, um, uh, Larry. It's, it's very... Uh, well, you're very welcome, Ali. Yeah. And I just want I, you know, here's a chance to say, if people love that kind of deep diving... Mm. That's what we do. Everything in Trekland, that's what I try to do, but especially with Portal 47. And I just want to say real quick that if people are enjoying that kind of thing, I've got a slide and I've even got an offer <laughs> that matches the slide if everybody wants to go right now in Corona time at uh, LarryNemichek.com slash simple342. I've got a by short time, Corona time, everything seems like we don't know what's coming down the pike and nobody wants to commit long. Um, a lot of people don't want to commit long, so if you want to jump over... Uh, that's what that's my livelihood now, or one of my livelihood. I'm I'm not doing tours. We're not we're still no. not running around doing uh, open tours yet. So not doing live shows. I can't talk to everybody live. So thank God we have our virtual platform here. But um, uh, we've been Porter Forty Seven. We were zooming, <laughs> or actually free conference calling for five years. So this whole world that everybody's gotten used to, we've been using that to get together and have Trek connection, and also bring a lot of voices in you know, backstage Trek that people to give them a whole new deep. I say it's for Portal 47 is for all the Trek fans who have no idea how much Star Trek they have no idea about. <laughs> I like that diet. Like, like Ron and Mike, you know what? I should say this too. When I characterize that as, as, as uh, Ron and Michael um, head banging over it, that's the creative process. It's not like they were catastrophically torn asunder. Like we think about some of our political debates now. You know, the, the sign of a great, healthy writer's room is having yeah. the free, you know, any creative place like that, and especially in a writer's room on a show. If it's shut down or very patriarchal, something's going to happen. Like, oh, I don't know, somebody be fired. Uh, sometimes it's the people in charge getting fired or let, a, being a left. A good writer's room should function like a good senior staff in Star Trek, where yes. debate... Yes. A dissenting point of views is encouraged. It's worked out. Everyone's say is equal. That should be the best writers. That's well, to a point. Yeah. I mean, someone ultimately has the ultimate responsibility. Yeah, it's the, captain the captain or the, the table, yeah. the head writer, showrunner, yeah. whoever yep. it is. But up until that point, let's have a different because we'll all be stronger for all the diversity of opinion that gets factored in. Yep. So, yeah, it all gets back go. to Idik, Larry. It yeah, all it gets back to Idik. Um, and with Idik, let's let's head into the away mission. So I was gonna, 
We have covered so much. We have covered so much, and there's still so much more to cover. The Away Mission, this is the part of the show where I give you some way to apply everything we've talked about to your own life to help you um, to help you work on your help mental us, health. Obi Ollie, you're our only hope. Oh my gosh. Don't cross those streams, Larry. Don't 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 cross those streams. Um, but if you do want to cross them, I'm I'm happy to be associated with Obi-Wan, the key character of the prequel series. I will always make that argument the prequels are really about obi-wan they're not about anakin skywalker anyways that's a different franchise um, um and i think that was also a another bad impression so for those of you um keeping score uh-huh. there's there's another one um uh you are welcome uh everyone so um larry this was really hard um how do i distill down advice about dealing Wait, with you want to go back to music is that what you want you want to uh, go back to music? yeah yeah just listen to the wrath of cod score there's there's your away mission <laughs> oh dan says the truth is out there how's that for crossing the streams there um, you go love yeah. it love it um you know i never really watched x-files like i, I watch episodes here and there but it always kind of i found it a little scary uh for 1990s alima too um uh, I was a little scared by it, um, but I should probably. But I, I, I can't do an impression because that line is in the title. But I can do. There you go. Not an impression. There you go, Larry. Now we're in business. <laughs> we are. But now uh, you're a dad, and nothing scares you. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Except my daughter. Um, that's what scares me. So, um. Away mission. Let's talk about that. Um, okay, so what works in terms of um, uh, navigating fake news and misinformation? We're not entirely sure because the technology behind it keeps changing and it keeps evolving. There's some research that suggests labeling it um, and identifying it is helpful in reducing its its transmission, re- reducing how viral it is, but some research doesn't support that. And we're seeing now that Twitter, especially as a platform, is taking that on. Facebook has kind of said, well, we're not going to be arbiters of truth, but Facebook uh, or Twitter is going in that direction more. Um, so we'll see. That's an ongoing experiment. Um, but to to relate this to, um, and there's a lot more that has to be done with changing our our larger systems, not only the way our politics works here in the United States, but also how media works. Ezra Klein, and if you're interested in this topic, Ezra Klein's Why We're Polarized is a really great read that dives into the history of this and how it relates to politics and media. He's uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Vox Media. So if you're interested in, in their platform, Ezra Klein's book is really great. But he has this quotation I really like, which is, um, the political media is biased, but not towards the right or left so much as towards the loud, outrageous colorful, inspirational, confrontational. It is biased biased towards the political stories and figures who activate our identities because it is biased towards and dependent on on the fraction of the country with the most intense political identities. So there's a lot we have to do with our political institutions and media institutions. I don't want to talk about that because life support live is about you. It's about what you can do right now. So what can you do? Well, number one, and this is a real tricky one, Larry, 
because I have spent about 20, 25, probably close to 25 years of my life really identifying this identity as a geek, as a Trekkie, as uh, someone who loves science fiction. And um, one of the key recommendations here is keeping your identity small. So keeping your the things that you find are core to you, keeping them as small as possible, because as we mentioned before, when your identity is attacked, that's when you it's so easy for you to get emotional, to not think clearly and be so vulnerable to this stuff. So number one is how can you keep your identity small? This gets back to gatekeeping, something we talked about before (laughs) is, um, you know, if you keep your identity small as a Star Trek fan, you're you're a bit more open to new reinventions of Star Trek. But if your identity is really tied to very specific parts of Star Trek and you see those parts as being challenged in new incarnations, it's easy to get outraged and all of this stuff. So easier said than done, I know, about keeping your identity small. So I know let's let's just pretend you can't do that because that's a very hard thing to do. Well, here's my very specific tip that I think everyone can do. When you come across some form of media and you find it really activating you, making you mad, making you sad, making you defensive, all of that sort of stuff, pause and think, (laughs) is this targeting my identity in some way? Am I feeling outrage? Is this something that is is engineered to attack my identity? And take a very, very big pause before you share it. Because the moment you share it, you're communicating to all your friends and family, the people who follow you, that this is true and I believe it and you're making it more viral. You're making it, you are endorsing, you're co-signing this. Someone in the comments mentioned I just don't share any political meme or anything like that because it's engineered to um, to persuade, to misinform, to for a political purpose. So be very, very careful before you share something um, and try to understand, is it targeting your identity and why is it making you so upset? Um, there's a lot more we can talk about, like... Those in in the science world need to become better storytellers. You know, I I have my um, Story Collider mug. It's an organization that I do a lot of work with, which is dedicated to helping people to tell true stories about science. There's a lot that needs to happen to improve science communication because science just doesn't have as good stories right now as uh, conspiracy theories. Because science, the the stories, it, it never ends. But we do need to help people in the science world get better at telling the stories that they have experienced. So there's a lot there. I wish I could get into more details, but I would say... People, people have lost track of... Uh, there's a whole misinformation about a lay audience. They've lost track of what... When we talk about laws and theories in science, people totally misapply what those even mean. And, they, you know, what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm very... I mean, there's such a basic... We've drifted. I go back to the, I mean, we all love the space program and the early, you know, the right stuff days of NASA. And it seemed like everybody was there. There's been science, you know, manipulated. We ate plastic for, <laughs> we ate plastic and put it in the oceans and in the atmosphere for uh, yeah. two or three generations there. 
And so there's some kind of, you know, industrialized science that was made to, for profiteering. People have trust, mistrusted that a little bit, or it's led to that, that fog of, you know, truth, 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 who's got truth. But pure, pure applied science, when you go back and realize that it's when you get to peer-reviewed journals, yeah. and it's not just someone's opinion, it's not even just somebody's, you know, like, let's even, like, you think you've got hard data, let's review your hard data. Um, that whole thing, it's lost sometimes. People think, oh, these scientists are all conspiring against us. Well, they've all cross-checked each other, and, and there's I, – I once knew – I had a journalism colleague um, – and she, for a time, was married to a Hale researcher. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the leading weather school in the country is the University of Oklahoma, their meteorology school. And that's why the, the Severe Storms Lab, it has a fancier name now. Anyway, it's like you talk about a niche at the time. This was like, you know, the 80s, 90s. There were like, you know, six or eight Hale researchers in the country. Okay. It's adjacent science to you, I know, but you can appreciate that. So he had this radical theory about hail formation, and he was the outlier. And so it's like the rest of his little tiny circle of eight or ten guys all were on a standardized theory, but he was like the radical. In, yeah. You know, but he wasn't ostracized. He still published his data, and he didn't. But I just always remember thinking, okay, here in this tiny, tiny circle of people with this interest – and here's there's a radical even in this tiny circle. But that's that to me is like what peer review and science investigation is about. It's yeah. Like, it, and I mean, it's it's important. To right, it's what CSI was about. It's why Noreen Shankar went from being the science advisor on Star Trek to running a police procedural. Yeah. For years, they always say they would say, we're going to take this case where this where the science leads us. Like we're not going to get involved in the emotion of the people or the politics yeah. or who's covering up. Go where the science goes. You know, the, always- the thing about science, too, is it doesn't always get it right. And 50 years right. from now, we're going to know that a lot of what we thought we knew was not true. Um, there's a story in psychology called of uh, Kitty Genevieve, uh, this woman who was being attacked in New York City. And all these people were, were made aware that she's being attacked and no one called. No one helped, right? This led to a wide... A variety of research around bystander apathy, that when there's a lot of people around someone who needs help, there's a diffusion of responsibility and people aren't likely to help. Whereas when there's one person around, you're more likely to help because you feel more responsibility. Here's the thing, Larry. Recent research has shown that the Kitty Genevieve event never really happened the way everyone says it happened. Um, but the research that came out of it is still true. So this is wild. This is a whole field in social psychology research is based on an event that never really happened, and yet it's still true. And there's okay. other research, like um, wait, wait, scientific... Wait, wait, wait. The, the initial event of the woman being ignored while being attacked, that was completely... Yeah. Was it made up by people it's, doing research? It, it became this myth through the newspapers and reports that never it never really happened that way. But... Okay. That led people to investigate this phenomenon, and that phenomenon is true. 
even though the original event is not true. And yet it's still told in introductory psychology classes as if it's true because it's such a powerful story. Um, and then we have things like scientific racism, this phenomenon in the 1800s, 1900s to rationalize why white people have bigger, better, more complex brains. And it was really a rationalization and a justification for slavery. Um, and those ideas led to um, ideas of eugenics, which led to not just Khan, Nuni, and Singh, but it also <laughs> led to um, forced sterilizations, um, sterilizing, quote, feeble-minded oh, people. You were telling me about this. We were I, talking about this, yeah. I, the state of California has sterilized more, forced sterilized more people than any other state in the country. And it, and this was still legal up until I think 2014. That, um, there's a history of, um, often, um, minority people who would go in to get an appendix out and the doctors would see this person as being feeble minded and they would force sterilize them, uh, because we don't want more people like this in the, in the gene pool and they would never even inform them. They're doing a social good here by they're doing yeah. a social good yeah so science gets it wrong we see that we saw that with lobotomies as well is uh people who had schizophrenia well let's lobotomize them they seem to be doing a lot better after that lobotomy well it's they're doing a lot better because you have completely wiped out their higher higher order functions of the brain so science doesn't always get it wrong um or science doesn't always get it right. Um, so it's 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 a very complicated issue. Um, there's a I couple of things... Don't always that get it wrong either, but no one cares about that end of it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Libby mentioned we should fact check. <laughs> we should fact check everything. And the other thing, um, I think Libby mentioned it as well, is... Um, no, this was Linda who said, don't read the comments. So um, fact checking <laughs> is, is, is right. We should do that. The comments... As, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't read the comments on a blog post or maybe a oh, YouTube oh, video. Okay. Well, so I want to dive into I, this. I always, if you, in line with what you said a while ago about uh, yeah. if you feel your blood rising, like take yes. a breath. Yes. If I actually am, and that usually, to me, that usually happens in Facebook. Not so much on Twitter, but maybe yeah. it's more curated. But if that actually happens in Facebook and I'm out in a broader place somewhere where it's not curated, before I get all, I will start, there's, it's it's still new, but the last since 2016, amazingly, all this awareness and study about look look at bots and trolls and completely mm -hmm. fake accounts, or look at people being paid to to rile you up. Like I just go back and look at the account. Has yeah. it been there for ten years? And there's five photos. Right. Does this person only post about some political issue, and they never post about their kids singing at the Christmas concert or right. the, you know at the Fourth of July celebration? Are they Is a there, real person? Are they a real person? Does their they're deep faking so many profiles? Is there like this weird, you know, are all seven pictures of the person and the thing? No two of them are really the same person, right? <laughs> you know, there are signs, and it doesn't take long. The thing that sounds exhausting is like, like Libby said, like uh, check your sources. I'm just talking about look at the account of the person that you're about to go post over, yeah. and if it takes five ten seconds, you can click on it. Go look. Five ten seconds will tell you. If you're, you know, you're look at their posts, look at their numbers, look at their photos, and you can pretty much tell if the if their friends' names, if they even have any friends, if their friends' names are all these kind of weird things, and there's somebody in Peru that knows somebody in Germany that knows somebody in the Yukon, and they know somebody in Pretoria, and you're like, well, they're very global, <laughs> or 
or was it just a sloppy troll account? You know, anyway, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It sounds so, exhausting to say check your sources, but I've found you can take five, ten seconds. If it's really important, take five, ten seconds before and, and, you And, and I think that's that's a big thing we're coming we're coming to here is if you are riled up, you need to press the brake. Um, yeah. In the old days, we used to say you need to pump the brakes, but now everyone has anti-lock cars. We don't pump brakes anymore. But you need to press the brakes here because the You're thing like that might be when you talk about not pumping the brakes. <laughs> the thing that um, the thing <laughs> to know is what's what's making you upset. It might have been designed to do that. Um, it, there's evidence in 2016 that. Um, uh, in the United States, we were being manipulated by Russian agents who were creating fake uh, Black Lives Matter protests while they were also simultaneously creating fake All Lives Matter protests and having people show up in the same place. So we need to be very careful of who are these sources. And that's a skill that I think is very underdeveloped for a lot of us is digitally how to do it. Larry, you just well, mentioned a really great tip here about how to do that quickly. Well, again, um, it's 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 taking advantage of it being new, and we haven't adapted. To yeah, it. it's so the, it's so amplified, weaponized speed of light. Yeah, I mean, there's an old quote that I was going to mention a while ago when you were talking about truth and lies, uh, and it's attributed to Mark Twain, which is how old it is. But it's like a lie is halfway around the world before the truth puts its shoes yeah. on. Them. Yep, yep, and and that is you know even faster now. That goes at Q speed. Whoosh. Um, and, and what I love is I always thought that was a Mark Twain quote, and I was reading about it, and apparently it's not really a Mark Twain quote. So there's a there's there you go. I don't know um, said, but it's not Mark Twain. You know, uh, so this comment that Linda uh, mentioned about don't read the comments. Um, I want to just mention that one of my favorite terms in psychology is called the nasty effect, and it's what can happen uh, when you read a comment section. So. Comment sections, um, if they are unregulated, can really go into polarized directions. And the nasty effect happens in these unregulated comment sections. I think, Larry, this, this, uh, the comment section here, they're largely coming from Trekland. These are people that, um, they're, this is not, this is curated. This is a community. Right. Yeah. That's different. And I, I try to do that on the psych show as well on my YouTube channel. If you're interested in wild people coming in from your YouTube community. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. It's, you know, you have to, uh, this is, you're coming to our community, our home, and it is our job to make this a welcoming experience. And if you're going to, if you're going to attack someone who's here at our party, we're going to block you. We're going to get rid of you because this is a welcoming place that celebrates ITIC, right? But in those unregulated com comment section, when you see these polarizing comments, that's when the nasty effect kicks in. And so what that means is, um, people who go into an unregulated polarized comment section, seeing those comments, it further digs in your your heels on whatever side of this argument that you are. So if you are going to this article not believing it and you see comments that are really polarizing, you will further not believe it. You'll become even more polarized. Or if you really believe it and you see polarized comments, you'll believe it even more. So... <sighs> This is a very, very precarious situation that we're navigating, a very difficult one. Um, I think one one thing that we can all take away. I think we've away... made great strides since 2016. I think this thing all kind of blows up. And 
and real quick, I love that I one of my Tuesday lives, uh, one o'clock Pacific, everybody on my Facebook page, one of my Trekland Tuesdays lives a year or two ago. I was so thrilled. Somebody actually tried to do an econo- uh, uh, a parametered study on on bots and trolls and tweets and try to get some numbers to it. And I, I hope that's an emerging field. But um, it was like, look, here's some numbers instead of being overwhelmed by social media. But it's just been the last three, four years since the the whole Russian thing in the election 2016 that we've even been aware of this. So on one hand, it feels we're all exhausted and beat down, which is kind of the that's the that's the whole point of it. But yeah, we are just we're just now turning this boat or this ship around to, to be aware, much less what are the solutions. So I'm sorry, go ahead, give us more solutions. Um, I mean, that's kind of what I've got, Larry. That's oh, okay. Uh, that's you know, I wish there was more easy answers here. Um, and one of the things that we haven't really got into because I, I don't think there are any clear answers is people who might be deeply into conspiracy theories and communities we haven't really talked about how some of these conspiracy theories and communities can really give people an identity and can give people connection we are we're so wired for connection and if we don't have that in people we might get that from substances we might get that from media we might also get that from very fringe areas um for the same reasons why uh, you know we don't hear about isis very much anymore but isis was able to recruit people who are very alienated and alone which is much the same way that the alt-right um the kkk neo-nazis also recruit people as people who are very much alienated and alone so a lot of this gets back to connection how can we have connection with each other so that those who are most vulnerable most struggling most alone do not get connection with areas of our culture that might lead to a very, um, a very uh, scary place. Um, we don't have the best answers for that right now. This is a complicated issue, um, Larry. I think it feels like the and it feels like the amplification, what the acceleration of life. Like we, every generation says, "Oh my God, everything moves faster than it used to," and that happens. That's just civilization culture. But with technology and with the digital and, you know, uh, the whole world is in my hand and I can be swayed or I can just be overwhelmed yeah, or I can be overwhelmed by being swayed. <laughs> uh, it's just, <laughs> um, it's just, just a, it's like adapting to that new, that new plateau. It's so, like they keep, they keep uh, moving the accelerator floor below where you can keep pressing the, the gas back. So yeah. uh, we are well overdue to open those hailing yeah. frequencies. They've been open. We've been talking. Been, um, yeah, and we're also trying. over on time. So let's maybe round about um, some of our favorite comments. And by the way, folks, if you really enjoyed any of the psychology bits and pieces that I've been talking about, uh, do me a favor and subscribe to The Psych Show on YouTube. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram and, and Twitter at Alimatu. I talk about this stuff a lot more in depth right over there. Thank you, Jared, for uh, being um, part of the the Psyche community over there um, and referencing some of those episodes. I'd love to keep talking to you about the Psych stuff over there. Larry, you got some comments you want? Uh, you uh, want to make sure we oh get boy, to? Oh they're all been. I I have been. I just I just want to thank everybody for the comments, and I want to say too that Ali's been working on his YouTube channel. I haven't used it until just the last few months. So please, everybody, if you're of a mind. Uh, go over to my, it's just Larry Nimacek on YouTube. And my Tuesday show is also there. 
uh, my Tuesday Live where I talk about a Star Trek topic. Hopefully, it's not the same old, same old. I always try to not pile on, but take a big picture, safe and sane look at Star Trek and something going on. But that's Tuesdays, and that's on my channel. I'd love it if you'd subscribe and join over there, too. A lot of you are at Facebook, and my Twitter is at Larry Nemechek, and Instagram is Larry Nemechek's Trekland, the same as it is Facebook, if you're watching us on Facebook. Uh, but there, a lot of these names are in here. Um, oh, Ashton Haley, Hallie, uh, when you were talking about forced sterilization, says, do you not think that sterilization is still happening? Yeah, it's still happening in, in many parts of the world, and um, I'm still concerned about what happens in prisons here in the United States. Um, it's... It's something that is now um, in in the United States is it's not necessarily quite legal anymore, which it was very much uh, mm-hmm. allowed to be. But it is definitely still happening in lots of parts of the world. Um, it's a big issue that I don't think is talked about that much anymore. Uh, Libby has a great suggestion. All those uh, people who are alone, isolated, should think about joining Star Trek fan groups. That's what I did as a teenager. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that. Of um, That's something all of us can do, is how do we help people around us who might be struggling, who might be alone? You know, um, one of the big tragedy, tragedies we've had in the United States um, you know, is Larry, it's very sad to talk about this um, for many reasons. But anti-social media? I mean, well, I, I was going to say school shootings. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. if you if you look at a lot of the the people who who have engaged in school shootings, a lot of them were really struggling, were alone, isolated, or were uh, were bullied. Um, you know, so, like, what can we do? To help the, uh, those people who might be really struggling before something like this happens. And the real sad part about this, Larry, I was going to say is, I guess this is one way we can solve school shootings is just to close all the schools in the United States because of coronavirus. Like, it's it's so wild to me that that's what it took to, to kind of uh, yeah. to stop that. <laughs> I mean, of, uh, yeah, gosh, um, uh, I, I like what Dan mentions. Um, yes. Remember the quote that says reality is a shared narrative we all tell ourselves. That's that's a really um, um, it's a nice way to think about all of this. We're we're reading the comments here, folks. That's what we're doing right, here. Right, right, right. Um, a lot of folks saying thank you. I think some folks are checking out. Linda says thank you, Docs. Always thought provoking. Robert says thanks, gentlemen. Always in, um, uh, informational. We're always happy to be here with Did you. Did we folks. go so long that we outlasted the Galaxy <laughs> Trek virtual? <laughs> um, Carlos says role-playing games are great socializers. I completely agree with that. Um, Dan also said great episode. Thanks, Docs. Live long and prosper. Larry, maybe <laughs> maybe we've outlasted the show. Maybe they're trying to tell us something. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nemechek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, 
Live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>